You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. They come from the bowels of hell, guided by a master plan for complete domination of the earth. It arouses such emotion that the management has been forced to state positively no refund. Uh, hey, everybody. Um, maybe you remember us after a long, cold winter when we were gone. I have arisen from my slumber. <laughs> yes, Chris Cox is back with every bad joke. <laughs> he's got them all stored he's, up. He's been, he's, he's been storing away for two months. But, ladies and gentlemen, Deliberations of Doom returns. Um, so, before we get started, uh, I did want I did have a quick announcement. Uh Sadly, our co-host, um, Phil Guzman, has um, taken indefinite leave of absence from Deliberations to Doom. He's busy with a million cool projects, um, and he just feels like he can't allocate the time to the podcast that he wants to. So we're going to miss him and his insights and his presence, and we're going to wish him the best. And we can't wait to see what he does, because we're fans as well as friends. And um, I just want to mention also, if you're not getting enough Phil, he is on Go90. On the Rebel Without a Crew, Robert Rodriguez uh, reality show, making movies, you get to watch Phil in action. And for a while, they make him the bad guy. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have watched it, but no. briefly, I really briefly they it. edit it into him sort of being the bad guy, and then he turns that around. So uh, I'm going to let you guys check it out, but it's actually a fairly entertaining podcast. Is it one of those for, things uh, where you realize that Thanos was right the whole time? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, kind of, it's a neat reality show about making movies. I enjoyed watching it, and it tries to be positive. So, yeah, Phil's, it's funny when Phil shows up. He doesn't show up until, like, almost the third episode. But when he does, I was like, oh, my God. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, check that out. But, uh, Phil, thank you for being on the show. We miss you. We and, miss uh, you, Phil. Yeah. And he also has 200 Hours coming out soon as well. That's right. He has his film 200 Hours. Uh, we don't Written know exactly. by Jason Murphy yep. from, from who uh, is well, also, spill.com and, yep. and uh, who's on uh, Modern Rogue, amongst other shows. Yeah. 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 his book? Because uh, someone asked about that. Uh, yeah, Black... Goat Motorcycle Club. Yeah. yeah. Which is actually super great, but okay. we'll talk about it I own later. it, yeah. That's going to come up. So anyways, uh, uh, thanks to Phil, and uh, uh, we hope, uh, hopefully we'll see I'm him. I'm sure soon. we will see him again yes. sooner yes. La- rather than we'll later. See next. Anyways, uh, we're on to Deliberation Doom. This is our long-awaited werewolf motherfucking Holy episode. Holy shit. Uh, Everyone's out there is like... <laughs> Come on, guys. Everyone, you know werewolves are big with the kids right now. <laughs> really want to ride that werewolf wave. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, well, I'll be walking around in the grocery store and someone will go, wolf. And I'm like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, after uh, Taylor Lautner set that werewolf bar, bar so, so high. high. So yeah. high for American Sexy cinema. Sexy werewolves. So uh, I'm Rob. I'm uh, Russ, Rob's twin brother. Patience. I'm Chris, Robin Russ's other twin brother. <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, Deliberations of Doom, just a uh, fair warning, is a deep cut uh, horror review podcast, and we are spoiler heavy. So uh, if you have not seen the movies or you're worried about them being spoiled, you may want to pause this podcast, go and watch all these werewolf movies, and then... Come back. Agreed. And enjoy I'm not sure how many of these you want to watch, though. To wow. I don't wow. Know. I, I would wow. say that there's nothing on this list that is not going to be perfect for certain people's tastes, and I don't mean that in any sort of dismissive way. I mean, there's stuff on here. I don't know anyone. I've never met anyone who's going to love every movie on this list, but I think I know lots of people whose opinions I respect who do love. At least one movie on this list. I'll, you remember that later. I'm just, I'm just going to yeah. spoil this right away. I fucking hate werewolf movies. Yeah, it is literally the my Why? like garbage Why? genre. Let me just say this: 
I, I was unaware of that when I really pushed for this <laughs> podcast is because this particular topic was my brainchild. Are you sure? But if I had known that? that, I would have pushed even harder for us to have this podcast. By the way, we were at DEF CON 1 with patience as literally, so... Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. Where's my... Oh, my, I, I need my rubber bands. I need my rubber bands. Okay. Um, okay. So, Thank you. Uh, You're before welcome. we get... Before we launch into it, um, uh, we asked... Uh, Listeners for questions, and uh, in a shocking turn of events, a bunch of people asked us questions. Yeah. Uh, so we're gonna walk through a few of those uh, this episode, and then in our second uh, part two of this, we'll we'll, we'll do some more. So, um, first one, in uh, really, I, I I don't know why people want to ask us this, but CJ asked us, um, <laughs> what is the weirdest horror movie to have on? In the background during coitus. Oh, that's easy. And wait, 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 wait. Um, patients wanted clarity on that and said, do you mean weirdest or disturbing? And he said both. <laughs> so I don't know if you want to have two choices. You, you're welcome to have a weird and a disturbing film. Um, but, uh, you know, then that's it. So mine is the same answer. And I okay, feel like it's so, the so. best possible answer, which is Videodrome, of course. Oh, my God. I was Cox's thinking about Videodrome. Videodrome. Right. Cox's answer, Videodrome. Patience. A Serbian film. No Ooh, one is ever going to make me watch that film. So I, I will no never, answer. ever see that film, but I am familiar with the s- different scenes of the film, and I just think that it would be both... I mean, that's why I was wondering, because weird, I would say Videodrome. Like, disturbing, I would say Serbian film. Like, if you're... You don't think the sex If you're getting down it, during a Serbian film, like, yeah, but there, there, there's something there at wrong least- with you. Maybe you're getting down to, to in order to stop watching a Serbian film, though. Uh, I don't think any. An I mean, if you if you can get it up during a Serbian <laughs> film, then there's... All right. So Serbian film, Russ. <laughs> uh, well, I thought a lot about this because I guess I was curious. Russ thought a lot about this. I, I was because I was curious. Um, is you may it have supposed seen to his be essay in the Is New it York. supposed to be so such a turn off? That it's kind of a turn on, <laughs> or like what? What's the deal exactly? And uh, uh, my answer was uh, Antichrist. By the oh, way, Jesus I'm wearing the Christ. shirt. That's <laughs> such a good answer. Gosh, well, that's wearing a shirt that with a fox is chaos. That is a really good answer. Well, we know what Cox watches during uh, <laughs> during Quaidus. I've actually only seen it once. It's more sort of like a you catchphrase for a fantastic. Watch fest. it once. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, I was like. This, this, I didn't know that I really had a great answer for this. Like, you guys have really kind of walked the spectrum, but, um, I'm gonna say anything with some weird sexualized violence is probably gonna go off the rails. But irreversible? Yeah, irreversible. But is that a horror movie? Everything's a Something about Mary. Horror movie. Horror movie. No! <laughs> Although that one scene with the fish hook, ugh. Yeah. Uh, did that not make you go fuck when that the first time you saw that movie, <laughs> fish hook no, in the cheek? No, you no, were like, it didn't. what the um, fuck? I was not even phased. What is this no. doing in a comedy? I was actually being like, why am I watching this stupid fucking movie? Uh, you've clearly never gotten a fish hook in the finger then. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question. Are we ready? Yes. Okay. Uh, are so there any? Says? And this is great because people stayed on werewolf topic a lot of times. Are there any werewolf stories? That should be made into movies that haven't yet. Yeah, Anthony Boucher's *The Complete Werewolf*, which was one. I'm not familiar with this. It's one short, one sort of novella in a collection of short stories. It was like the longest short story, which was like near a novella. But it was this idea: the guys like they starts off really feeling like a like it was going to be like a traditional werewolf thing, and then he gets it. The he becomes a werewolf, and he's like, "Oh, I can totally think normally." 
and he kind of becomes like a superhero. But this was written like in the 50s, I think. Uh-huh. So it was like way ahead of everything else. So it was like, wow. I remember reading it as a kid going, this is so much fun. I love this. And as far as I know, there was never any follow-up. But it's one of those things that's like people who like uh, genre horror fiction from back then or reading all those, the, the magazines, the galaxies, the what have you, or like, oh, yeah, that, that that's a classic. Wow. That's that's a, I know, that was cut, a really, Jeez. that was a great answer. That's a good answer. Uh, patience? Fuck no. So nothing should be made as a horror movie No, ever. because there should never be another werewolf movie <laughs> ever made again. Tune in for our next episode, Werewolves Part 2. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. No, uh, there was like this one cool book, uh, like back in the day, like Twilight? Was that what it was? No, I'm just kidding. Mm, Whatever. I, no, I don't, I don't have an answer for what this. About, what, 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 what about the Underworld movies? They have werewolves in them. Should we stop making Underworld movies? Okay. I like the lichen vampire hybrids better. Oh, of course you do, Chris, because yeah. that's the deep nerd cut. Me. Russ? Uh, fucking I, Scott's beat me. Yeah, I can't think of anything I want to hand I mean, you, you we, had we, this book. Well, we had, well, we're we're going to get into that with uh, the other question. Yeah, we might as well. You can use it. But the one, the one I was going to say was uh, actually our buddy uh, uh, Jack Mitchell uh, sold a screenplay to Fox. Uh, several years ago that was about a team of UN sanctioned werewolf hunters who battled these warring clans of, of werewolves. That and sounds uh, awesome. It was really cool and uh, sadly got lost in the development process but I would love to there's been various iterations of it coming back I think at one point they were going to try and make it a video game or something but uh, uh, I would love to see that it was called Silver Strike. So. That sounds badass it was, it was pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. Um uh, should I mention? Yeah, go ahead. I guess I'm going to say Sharp Teeth by Toby Barlow. It's an epic poem um, about warring werewolf clans in Los Angeles. And mine was a deep cut. <laughs> no, I mean, well, uh, Danny Boyle was trying to make it into a movie for a little while. Wow. Um, but it's really neat. It reads almost like um, lyrics to a rock song, but it's a story. Okay. And uh, it's, it's a great piece of writing. It's really beautiful. Like so, I mean, like I go back and quote that thing like all the time. It's really, really cool. So if you haven't read it, I recommend it. It's like a quick read. It's a cool read. Um, it's you know, it's like reading the lyrics to your favorite album or something. But it's neat because there's a story. And um, anyway, so yeah, it's got like one of my favorite quotes ever, which is uh, the bullet that you're running from is never the one that hits you. So, oh, nice. anyways, yeah. So, uh, sharp teeth. That'd be my choice. Uh, number. We ready for the next question? Yeah. yeah. Okay. How many next, questions do we total? We're gonna do five for this one. Were there many questions? There was, actually, we're gonna do six because there are twelve. I love oh these. Guys. Okay. So, um, I love our listeners. We love our this one. This one, I don't know if we'll be able to answer. I think only Chris may actually be able to answer this. Oh. What is the best of the awful Howling sequels? Oh shit! I don't, Have you seen all of them? No, I'm not even. I love. I think Halloween One is one of the greatest horror movies ever Howling. made. Howling! Oh, Howling! Oh, it's it's uh uh what the marsupials? That's three, right? I think you're right. Isn't two your sister's a werewolf? Yeah, two yeah. is your sister's a werewolf. The one with uh Sybil Danning. Danning. Yeah. Uh, three, I think, is the marsupials, which is the one but done by Ozploitation director. It's yeah. Australian made, and it's so absolutely batshit insane that you're like, oh, is that the one where they're making the movie? Mm, I don't think so. One of them they're See, making a movie. I think it's three. See, that's the one Maybe that I three. remember from my time. childhood is the Australian one. Okay, so probably Mercy Yeah, Pills. that's the one that I remember. So is, your, is that your that's your vote as well? I well, so, I guess. I mean, I All don't right. really have a vote. Uh, yeah, these are uh, this this both these questions were submitted by. Oh, who was it? Okay, oh, Russ, yeah, do you have your next out. one? Wait, I have it. I, I don't have a helmet. I haven't. Seen Russ hasn't seen any of them. So I yeah, these all of these uh, from Ben. So uh, yeah, um, I had only seen I've seen two and three, and I saw them years and years ago, like at somebody's house probably when we were like sleeping over and we ran horror movies. 
The only thing I remember is they were making a movie in one of them. And I remember that um, it had this great moment where the director guy goes off on a rant real quick. And he says, Andy Warhol showed us that pop culture can be high art. And I remember, like, it blew my tiny mind because I was watching this, like, stupid horror movie. And this guy had this really cool explanation of Andy Warhol and pop art. And it always stayed with me as, like, this amazing distillation of what pop art is about, which is kind of what... Those movies are. Yeah, there is, three is the one with the. They're making a horror right. film. So, uh, so I would say three just for the fact that that. Shapeshifters. It, it, it again, it again <laughs> illustrates that horror movies can do more are than just be junky. Seriously, uh, trashy talking stuff. about highbrow art in a, the most It's done in a very <laughs> satirical way. Like, he's pitches this pretentious Fellinius. It sounds like it's very self aware. Yeah, it is. As I think a lot of the people. I mean, it's always are. say, like, these people who are making these movies, they're not unaware of highbrow art. A lot of those people are like, someday I'd like to make a movie like that. Right. But you know what sells to a smaller audience in video howling stores? Three. The Howling 3, the marsupials. <laughs> you know? It's like I try and sneak in as much clever shit as I can. <laughs> but what do you want? People want to see transformations and werewolves with tits. Um, <laughs> all right. So number four. Uh, I think this goes specifically to us, but I prefer you guys to answer. I think we already just answered this, which is, what is the best idea for a werewolf movie that the Summers Brothers would make? Yeah. Um, but I think we answered that. Sharp Teeth, Silver Striker, uh, uh, D- Dwayne Straczynski's Werewolf by Night. He did, he did a pretty, he cool. did a pretty good run on that. He's like a, he's like a, a crime writer. Oh, the uh, old, you're talking about the Marvel? Yeah. yeah. He did recently, he did a run on it that was kind of neato. I didn't realize they had brought that back, actually. Yeah, it's. I think it was brief. It was only five yeah, or six minutes. They're yeah, doing Tales yeah. from Suspense again right now. Which oh, is oh like, are they really? Yeah, I was like, what? Um, pretty sweet. Uh, yeah, I don't know that. Yeah, so Sharp T, Silver Strike, Werewolf by Night. And otherwise, it's something we'd probably create ourselves. Yeah. Which would take some I would, I would watch a, a werewolf short from you guys. Oh, <laughs> Well, thanks, Patience. Dare to dream. I would actually maybe even like it. (laughs) I won't get my host. Do you guys have any picks for us that we should make? Yes. I'll pitch you right now. Are you ready? It's like, far future, we have found and defeated werewolves, vampires, uh, creatures in the Black Lagoon. We have wiped them out. But Uh we've also studied them and understood them to the point that we have their DNA in specific mixtures set up for soldiers, super soldiers, to inject into themselves before they go into combat so they can take on qualities of those. Mm -hmm. But something goes wrong. As it always does. (laughs) I didn't see that coming. It seemed like such a foolproof plan to inject our soldiers with DNA from supernatural monsters. Yeah. How could that go on? Off the rails. Part vampire, part werewolf, part undersea creature, part invisible man, all fucked up. <laughs> Don't forget <laughs> the mummy. Third act, Don't but forget okay. the mummy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Don't forget the mummy. Well, I don't know how you inject mummy. being the mummy into you. You're like, it's like that's a wrap. Okay. So good. Number five. This is only for patience. What is? Wait. Let's see if everybody else knows because I think I know the answer. This patience don't answer yet. Okay. What is patience's preferred whiskey? Chris Cox. Um, oh my god Really? Really dude? I don't remember Okay Russ Jameson Jameson Is it Jameson? It's fucking Jameson Alright I all mean right. I mean, technically it's all <laughs> yeah. well, I was gonna say It's a trick question The answer is Oh that's whiskey I don't know oh, Is that whiskey? You put in front of Patience And she's not happy about like, and then I she, mean I Every time <laughs> Patience has gotten My bullet bourbon by accident She's like What the fuck is this bullshit? Why the fuck? Well that's just because I was expecting Jameson okay. Um, this in other words, I was expecting this whiskey to suck. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, um, and... The, the Cask IPA Jameson was pretty good, though. I finally tried that. Cask Oh, Cask yeah. I, yeah. I was like, wow, it's, this really is, good. it's Jameson. It's surprisingly good. Yeah. Um, oh, shut I'm up. Okay, number guy, six. So. Final question God for this round from CJ. Uh, all the, uh, no wow, CJ and Ben did all these questions. That's funny. Um, most overrated horror classic... I'm going to say something that's going to upset a lot of people. That's fine. He, uh, that's why I think he asked us. Rosemary's Baby. Overrated? I Do you think it's good at all? Don't. Yeah. No, I mean, it's one of those, I can watch it and go, I can see in the time period how this had an effect on people. We were in the middle of a Satan panic in America, you know, but it's not scary. It's not even all that well shot overall. Oh, and the, the ending Uh-oh. is laugh out loud, not scary. It's like, wow, this seems like a parody of a horror movie, not an actual horror movie. It Chris, just did let me not let me out. ask you let me ask you a serious question. Why do you hate America? I, <laughs> I have a lot of th- things I could say, but I we're know, on the deliberations of Doom okay. podcast. I, wow, Re- this is this is obviously. Uh, I look forward to us reviewing that yeah, movie. Yeah, I don't know uh, when we're going to do it. Like maybe our mother's podcast. I own the Criterion <laughs> edition because I have hopes that this someday. Criterion of Rosemary. I have hopes that someday I will revisit it and go. Oh, I see what I did wrong. So, how so I did you ever this. watch a documentary um, called Visions of Light? Yes, I feel like I did. Okay, well, for people who haven't seen it, it's an amazing documentary about Sounds cinematography. Good. And if you don't really understand or know much about cinematography, it, it will it will really set you up. Especially I, if you're a cinephile. Yeah, it will change it, the way you look it's, at movies. It's an old, I mean, the movie's 20-something years old, so it mostly talks about film movies, and I don't think it goes too modern. But it will, it will show you what cinematographers do for movies. And... Um, they talk about a lot of cool movies in it and stuff. And it really was a big influence on, on the Summers Brothers, like big time. And one of the things they get into briefly is they talk to Will Fraker, who shot Rosemary's Baby. And he tells this amazing story about how um, there, there's a scene in the movie where Ruth Gordon, who's like the, the older lady who lives next door to Rosemary's Baby, is talking t- um, to someone on the phone. And the way Polanski frames it... Uh, Polanski, by the way, very troubling person, but we are talking about his movies. I, I, I feel I have, I have very I, mixed feelings about loving his I have, stuff. I have no issues with loving somebody's output that turned right. out to be an asshole. Okay, well, no. a, a strong point. And, but anyways, this, uh, so in when they were framing it, um, Polanski uh, framed it so that she's sort of cut off by the doorway. You really just see like sort of the side of her. You don't see her face while she's on the phone. And Fraker was like, why don't we move the camera a little bit? We can't see her. And Polanski goes, no, no, that's what I want. And he's like, really? Like, that looks like a mistake. And Polanski's like... No, it's not a mistake. And then Fraker said, and then when we showed the movie to the first audience, the entire audience leaned right in their chairs to try and see around the wall. Right. And, see and I feel like the movie is filled with like really neat, small things like that. I, I always think about Rosemary on the phone saying, like, um, it feels like there's a wire inside me and it's tightening. I don't know. It's just really a weird... It, it's a movie Russ and I talk about a lot, so I'm surprised. But I, I get that. It's There's probably some creaky stuff in it. Um Cassavetes is like super over the top in it, yeah. you know. So yeah, I get it. But I don't know. Just nevertheless, with me at all. I know that's funny. We I don't know how that's never come up before. Yeah. I, that was a surprise I, because I'm reluctant to bring it up. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Because everyone does that. And oh, goes, sorry. Are you crazy? This is. So I don't think you're crazy, movies. but I, I. No, I don't mind. I, I, I mean, I we, just like I know you're crazy. I have come down on you guys. Plenty of times for not being in love with things that I'm in love with. And probably so. will here in about five seconds. Yeah. Oh. Do you have an overrated horror oh, classic? Oh, I just okay. Just be honest. Psycho. I, oh, okay. Yeah. I think Psycho is one. It's like boring. Yeah. It's bland. It's predictable. 
I just, I mean, yeah, I know that Hitchcock, like, revolutionized, you know, cinema in a lot of ways, and I know that this is a legendary film as far as horror is concerned, but I just wasn't, I was like, I, maybe it was just too no. built up in my head. Maybe There's I just There's a lot of dopey that, stuff in that as well. I Psycho mean, is one of those films that has been so over-copied. Thank you. To the point that it feels like the most cliched thing you've ever seen yep. by the time you see it. And, yeah, well, Which and is not the fault is. of Psycho. I think there's some but, creakiness to it at even inherent. I mean, I, I think that as I love the movie and I've watched it a lot of times and I've seen the theater and all stuff, but I agree that definitely was, for American audiences, I feel like Psycho was like a huge like whoa, this we've never seen anything like this, and I'm I'm kind of surprised European audiences took to it because they had seen stuff like that before that. Yeah, I mean Hitchcock was copying other people by that point. I exactly, like. and I feel like that's exactly what it is. You, is it's not that in, in original for me? I I mean I think do you if, do you have any feelings about the uh, the Gus Van Zandt version? The one, is that the one with Vince Vaughn? I have seen it. I did see that. And it was even worse than the first oh, one. I, it was awful. I, I, think I there's, guess there's stuff in Psycho. I'm like, I love the idea of all this. I just wish it moved a little faster. I wish it was coming together quicker. It's not I even love, one I love of my the, favorite Hitchcock movies. I mean, yeah. one of the biggest problems with that movie is that everyone knows that Janet Leigh dies. And that was the big shocker in the film when it came out. We don't, the, they spent a lot of time building up her character as the main character, only to kill her halfway through it the movie. It is really cool. And it's shocking, unless it's one of the most realized tropes in all of cinema And then it just goes downhill from there. <laughs> like, after Janet Leigh is killed, then you're just like, uh, okay, so now... I mean, every time Norman Bates talks in his mom's voice, you know it's... Like there's well, something. Once weird. again, but you knew it ahead of time. So I, you're uh, like, oh, that's okay. true. Hmm. I, I mean, I just it's not my favorite, and I thought that I in the the Van Zant, I didn't buy Vince Vaughn at all. His hmm. character, and normally I I like him. I, I liked Brawl and Soul Left ninety nine. I I mean, I bought him in that character, but I did not buy him as Norman Bates. Yeah. Psycho. I and mean, even as somebody who goes into it very forgiving, because I love Alfred. I Hitchcock haven't movies. watched the TV series. It's one though. of my least favorite Alfred Hitchcock movies. Like, okay. and, and and probably for the same reasons she's saying, where it's like I just knew everything that was going to happen, and going into it, there were no surprises, and it's a very locked onto those surprises type of film. I mean, even the iconic shots have been spoiled for us well, ahead of time. So, hmm. I, I heard the documentary is really good, though. Yeah, I've heard that too. Uh, yeah. Well, Russ. Uh, Here's what, and honestly, I don't even, and because Cox and I have gotten into this, uh, I'm not a huge, I don't even think of this movie is a horror movie, but I know it's been lumped in there, but but I would say Silence of the Lambs. Ooh. I just, yeah, it's just one of those movies, um, I think I've grown to appreciate things about it, and you know, I mean, uh, uh, things that people have told, and I said, you know, it, the things that people talk about that they love about the movie, they are in the movie. Like, I don't think it's an emperor has no clothes kind of movie. I do think, um, Manhunter is a better version. I think, in a, in a way, Manhunter sort of invented a lot of what Silence of the Lambs picks up and doesn't get as much credit. Um, I, I still, I, I just, I don't love Hopkins' performance. I think it's very scenery chewing. Um, I don't think he's a very interesting villain. I, I always find it. There's just a point in the movie where I just start to lose interest in the film. Um, and I think especially in light of Fuller's Hannibal TV series, which I adored. You know, I would angrily disagree with you until I saw Hannibal uh, Fuller's Hannibal series and Mads Mikkelsen's version of that character and went, oh, you're right, Hopkins really was kind of playing this weird, like... 
I don't know, almost like felt like he was about to start singing like like a in a drag show now when he's, I watch he's, it. You he's know? just he's very silly and and I. Um, it, it, what it reminds me of is, is the arguments I used to get into people about Nicholson's Joker and, and just how much I loathe that character and, and what they did with it. And then just when you see Heath Ledger do the Joker and you go, oh, yeah, no, I, now I see what you're saying. And, and, and so I, I just – I don't see how you can look at, at, at uh, you know, Nicholson's uh, Hannibal and, and Fuller's series, which I think is amazing, so great. television, um, and, and say that that movie is very subtle. I honestly – you know what's funny is I actually really like uh, Ridley Scott's Hannibal a lot. I think it's pulpy. It's kind of junky. Um, it's fun. Ridley Scott. Uh, yeah, Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott's Hannibal. Hannibel, the sequel. Oh, you're right. I'm thinking of Red Dragon. Sorry. Yeah, it's Brett which Ratner. is yeah. which is Brett Ratner and which is terrible. I'm Just watch Manhunter. I thought it was actually better than yeah. Ridley Scott's Hannibal. Sorry. That's okay. Ouch. I mean, I know. You know, <laughs> once again, Chris Cox is wrong on this podcast. Mm-hmm. I mean, who would have seen that? Comment? I'm willing to accept that I'm wrong about lots of things, just not with this group. Uh, <laughs> uh, Rob Summers. Uh, so uh, Russ and I, uh, we had a joint pick when we were kind of discussing this. That I just want to throw out there. We don't have to go too into it, but the Amityville Horror, the oh, first one, the first is one. a terrible, terrible movie. What There's about nothing- the remake? Yeah, it's even worse. Yeah, they're both awful <laughs> movies. Most of my love just like from that comes from reading the book and then seeing the movie almost immediately afterwards. Even then, yeah. I can't. It's so. It feels like a bad TV movie. It's it's awful. It's so dumb and like the performances are dumb. It's not scary. Was Margot Kidder in there? She yeah, is. She, and, was. she just died, you fucker. I know. Hey, she she's so great. The movie's <laughs> fucking terrible, and I love that chick. Um, I'm setting that but, up. But uh, she was in uh, Black Christmas, which is not an overrated movie. It's not rated high enough. Um, I watched it for the, the first other time one I would pick. Your Pressure. Oh, yeah, right on. And it was well worth it. It's a fucking cool right. movie. That was our final girl episode. Um, and then I would say, I know that. Chris and I have gone round and round on this. Uh, oh. The Babadook. I did not understand. Fuck yeah! I did not understand Woo! the love for that movie. I. I respect so I respect that there were things to appreciate about it, but in the end, I thought it was a bit... Um, that's shrill. Yeah. It's just, just so 10 out of 10. No, I mean, I know that you loved it, and, and I... And I, and I and that's one of the reasons I hate it so much. <laughs> but I just... I did not connect with the movie. I didn't think it was scary. I, didn't, I, I found the metaphor to be really uh, obvious. I, I, I thought it really goes on and on. I, I, I'll, I'll give it this. It had a great trailer. And I wish that was the movie. Yeah, I agree. I think the central conceit of the movie is good, but it's a frustrating film. Now Anyways. I, I feel like I wish I would have chose It Follows, because fuck that movie. Oh, Whoa. That movie. Wow. Yeah. All right. You heard me. Well, we've gone on and on, but it's time to get to the real Yay. stuff. Oh, are we getting into The meat on the bone. All right. As it were. Well, uh, let me just start off. I know that it wasn't an assigned thing to watch the original Wolfman, but I did indeed. In fact, I got so drawn into it, I watched all the bonus features on the Universal re-release. I'm oh, like, wow. this shit is awesome. Like, it's an hour and nine minutes or something like that. It's super short. The original? Yeah. Oh, wow. And it's like, of all those original Universal Monster films, it, it and Creature in the Black Lagoon were the only ones that were not based on a pre-existing property. Like, a, ra- a written thing. Like, they were original Universal creation monsters. Everyone assumes the Wolfman was, like, based on some specific thing. No. All of those tropes, the Silver Bullet... The, the Wolfsbane, you know, the poem, even the man who is pure at heart and says his prayers by night may become a wolf when the wolf's brain brooms and the autumn moon is bright. That was written for the movie. That's not from anything else. Oh, wow. It was the first time that's there. By the way, isn't it weird that, like, no one ever brings up the autumn thing? 
You're like, wait, so only in fall are there werewolves? Is that the only time you have to worry? Because the poem, which has been in multiple films, is always says it, and no one ever brings up, oh, well, it's summer, so we, it's fine. Interesting. <laughs> wow. So it was good? Yeah. I, I uh, sadly yeah. have never seen it. I mean, so. once again, it's so short. Lon Chaney Jr. is playing, you know, uh, the, the Larry Talbot, who is a guy who becomes the wolf man. Uh, it's more interesting to watch in context with the 2010 version of the Wolfman, which we'll talk about in a minute, you know, uh, with, with the decisions they made, because it was very much, it's a different film, but there's so much that's directly a reaction, very specific reaction to the original 1941 film. Just little things they changed, little things they kept, little sort of nods of the hat to it. Um, I, I do think it's well worth watching, and it was a major hit when it came out, of course, obviously, because it spawned this episode. Yeah. <laughs> All these years later. Although I think there was some silent, that yeah. was the first talkie werewolf movie. There were, I think there were some werewolf well, there movies. Were, it were werewolf movies before, but they didn't set the rules. Right. Yeah. There were werewolves. There was just not the rules, the official, what we think of werewolves to get today. Right. You know? And, and none of them were based on a specific work of literature. Uh, uh, interestingly, Claude Rains, for once, was not playing... The villain, in fact, he was playing, who was regularly in Universal Horror Films, uh, he was playing the, the father of Larry Talbot, the, the Anthony Hopkins role mm-hmm. in the remake, except in this version, he was the good guy. Yeah. Just you didn't realize till the end. But that's just a weird thing about that character, though, right? The werewolf is the one of the only major movie monsters who is the good guy, only he's got to die. Yeah. You know? I mean, is there any other character like that? Like any monster character where Dracula. the hero? No, Dracula's not usually the hero. Though. Well, he was—he was, he was very romanticized. He's, very He's romanticized, but he is evil. But he just wants to reconnect with no, his long lost. No, it's interesting. I—I I, I want to get into this later, but there's a way that werewolf movies have like basically two structures, which is a the main character is the bad guy mm-hmm. or is the wolf and we follow his journey into realizing that he's been turned into this creature and how is he going to deal with it and in that sense I think you're right it takes on this duality of he's kind of the he's the antagonist and the protagonist you know he's his own villain he's this guy who's fighting himself or there's a mystery of who is the wolf right like so that's the, so you have those two structures to werewolf movies where it's like you know which and so based on that kind of determines what kind of movie it ends up being. And sometimes it has ones where the hero is just flat out the hero until he decide he gets actually he takes out the werewolf but gets bitten and has to realize the way to be the hero is to end his own life as well. Right, but that's what I mean. So it's always but we know who the wolf is kind of at that point or whatever. So. Right. Anyways, but uh yeah, so um uh I think one of the best things one of the best summations uh, again I think we'll get into this more but um I watched uh this great thing by I think Adam Simon Directed it, um, and it was from his. I think he shot it for his great documentary, American Nightmare, which you haven't seen. is one of the best documentaries in horror. It I think great. it's all on YouTube right now. But um, it's a really terrific thing about the '70s guys and and their the crossroads of like political and horror. But he shot. He talked to Landis, and Landis, John Landis, who directed American Werewolf, um, talks about the wolf in this really interesting. Well, we'll get into it in a little bit. I'll, I'll, I'll That's the next story. film I have in mind. Oh, you have American so, Werewolf. So we might as well just move on to that. Okay, so go so, ahead and intro it by we'll, continuing your thought. Okay, so. Um, in that thing, uh, so in this documentary, it's about 18, 20 minutes. You can watch it on YouTube. Uh, the, the Landis talks about American Wealth. It's not in the documentary, but they use the, the excerpts from it for, for the American Wealth in London extras on, on DVD. And he talks about his idea of the wolf, and he tells two really interesting stories. One is he talks about coming up with the idea for American Wealth in London, which is um, the story, if you haven't seen American Wealth in London, 
and you fucking should, um, is about two back, two American backpackers who get attacked on the moors by uh, a wolf, and one of one of them gets killed, and one of them becomes infected by uh, the wolf and begins to turn into fights this thing where he's starting to realize like, Oh my God, I think I'm this creature. And, uh, he's in London and I mean, kind of falls for his nurse and, uh, hilarity ensues as he battles with his, uh, like the lycanthropy inside him. But, um, and meanwhile, everyone he's killed, uh, haunts him. And uh, it's a horror comedy. It's really not like any movie. It has a really unusual tone for any movie. The studio had a really hard time with this movie because horror comedies on this level of the horror being as right. high and as graphic as it was, this was kind of a first of its kind. So, so Landis talks about that in this interview, which was he said, so the reason he came up with the idea was he said um, he was making Kelly's Heroes. He was a PA. He was a PA on yeah. Kelly's Heroes. And he was traveling with uh, the translator. Say. And the translator was, he said, he's probably on trial for war crimes now. Really, you know, creepy dude or whatever, but he spoke perfect English. And they were, they were, there's a single lane road for like 400 miles or something. And, and they get to this thing and there's these people and they're burying a body feet first into the ground. They're, they're like gypsy or something. He's like, it looked like they were out of the back lot. And, um, and they're burying this body feet first. And he said, you know, there's, you know, they can't go any further. They have to wait for this procession to finish whatever it's doing. They're standing there watching it. And the guy's laughing at these, you know, his translator's laughing about these, uh, primitives or whatever he calls them. He's like, you know, really condescending. But they said, like, he's like, why are they burying feet first? And they said, because that way he can't get up. Like, and cause a bunch and of mischief. Ca- and, you know, and, and cause mischief. He can't rise from the grave. Cause, and, uh, and, and, you know, they were laughing at her and they, they left. And then he was sitting in his hotel that night and he thought, oh my God, like, what if that guy actually got up? Like, we would not only be ill-prepared, we would be unprepared to deal with that in any way, like the supernatural. And so you see that idea in this in American Werewolf, which was, you know, this guy grapples with the supernatural. He's like this, you know, he's this, like, obnoxious American guy. Like, there's no way he would have any, you know, real um, way to grapple with that. And the other story he mentioned, which is, I think, something that really takes shape. I really, it was a great summation of a lot of these werewolf stories, which was, he said, the werewolf is ultimately a schmuck. He said, like, he tells this joke about how this wife says, like, you're such a schmuck, you're such a schmuck, that if they had a contest for the world's biggest schmuck, you'd come in second because you're such a fucking schmuck. (laughs) But you see that in all of these movies. And I think um, American Werewolf probably, if not the it's got to be like one of the best, if not the best werewolf movie I've ever seen. Like it just gets everything right. I mean, like. And it's very much its own movie. Yeah. And I think also Landis brings something to this movie that is so unique. That every time I go back to it, I feel something different, which was, he has, he said this when he wrote the script. He said, that script got me a lot of work, but no one would make it because there's, they'd say it's too scary to be a comedy and it's too funny to be a scary movie. And you feel that with the movie, it rust, and you know, it's, it's sad because I feel like Landis was a unique director with that. And he did it with the thriller video and he did it, uh, I, Vampire and, what is it? Or the Vampire, Innocent Blood isn't very good, but. No, it is. I not. wish he'd done more in this genre. It's not as bad as people seem to remember right. it as, but. But I wish he'd done no. more in this genre. I think this film, I, I think about this film all the time. I've shown it to a lot of people. Um, he has some amazing imagery. He has, I, I think that the dead guy's Griffin Dunn, who's really funny. He's like this sort of pissed so off corpse who continues to rot and comes back and gets after David, uh, McNaughton. Is it Naughton? David McNaughton. Yeah. yeah. About, or you David, know. David just not. Yeah. You gotta kill yourself, man. Like, we're all, we're all stuck in this limbo until the werewolf dies. And then, um, this, and then, you know, that's really unique. The wolf really, the wolf transformation there is one an Oscar and it is incredibly memorable because it's bright, harsh light. You see it happen and it's painful and it's scary. It was the first Oscar for best makeup. 
Yeah. Oh wow! This was the first year they ever had a best makeup Oscar. And, and this one, you needed to invent it because it's still a magnificent practical transformation. So how is it that this film from 1981 still has the best practical werewolf transformation? It's, it's no one has topped it. Even all the movies you watch today, um, no one even comes close. It it's, looks amazing. But I think also Landis is the way Landis conceived of it. That he even says like it's supposed to be like a painful erection in some ways, you know, and there is there's like this all this sexual imagery to it, but not like that. But he plays, uh, is it Moon River or Blue Moon? Blue every Moon. every single song in the soundtrack has Moon. Yeah, in the and title. so that's really awesome. Um, and I think, and this is a running thing throughout this movie. This movie is so fast; it's, it's only like an minutes. hour and a half. Yeah, yeah. and I compared to the uh, we'll get into some other werewolf movies. Like there's, you know, it's like. There's only like two or three instances of the werewolf. Like he, he when they get attacked, there's like a rampage. Uh, he he sort of does or whatever, and then where he kills this guy on like the on the tube, and then the final like craziness in like Trafalgar Square, and that shit is amazing. Yeah. It's Piccadilly. Oh, is it Piccadilly? Sorry, yeah, it's Piccadilly, Piccadilly Circus. Circus. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, no, no, I love um, that. I love that uh, he decided to go with just a kind of full on wolf. Right. Like when he turns, he's just a big. And he says that he wolf. says he wanted to. Be, he didn't want to be. Bipedal, right? Like he wanted to be a creature. Well, and it's interesting because the howling, which makeup artist Rick Baker, had, this this project took so long to get going. Right. So many studios were like, "We don't get it." That Rick Baker, who was initially really excited about, it, got frustrated and started working with another director on the howling. And apparently, um, uh, Landis got so pissed off that he didn't talk to him about it. Like yelled at him, and he came back and was like, "Okay, I'll just be a consulting guy on there." But when you watch the howling. All the werewolves, of course, are, in fact, like, standing on two legs. And that was, like, the one of the big arguments that Landis and him had been having. Like, Landis strongly felt they should be just big wolves. And, uh, and, uh, um, uh, Baker wanted, Baker them, to wanted them to be bipedal. And it's like, oh, he got to do both. I mean, and it's th- a fascinating it out, like, debate the about same year. <laughs> which werewolf is your werewolf. But yeah. I really, I, I love this movie. Um, I, one of the things I really want to single out, too, is there is a nightmare sequence where a yeah. Nazi wolf creatures show up in his house. And I remember the first time I watched it, it was so surreal. And it doesn't... The, the movie offers zero explanation for it. And Landis finally said, like, the main character is Jewish and he's trying to process horror. And to him, growing up, that would have been... His reference point was Nazis. So when he's trying to process horror, that's what he envisions. And just that kind of stuff alone, and I'm like, that kind of sophisticated, interesting shit is in this really... It, it's the only scene in the film that I don't think... Everybody automatically gets no like where you go. Oh, what was that? Yeah. And even today, it's like that's a weird. Sequence. But I think it sets a really unsettling tone. It does. Also, although they had to cut a scene with Naughton because he was like the director thought he was Jewish. He's <laughs> like, I'm not circumcised, <laughs> and there was a nude scene that they were set up. He's like, I just needed to tell you I'm not circumcised. You need to do. Something. He's like. You're not Jewish? <laughs> I mean, he looks kind of Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another thing I want to point out, uh, uh, werewolf POV, awesome. Yes. And then um, the, the the amazing idea uh, uh, where they shoot down the stairs to the werewolf attack and the wolf, you see the size of the fucking wolf. So big. It's an amazing shot where you see everything and, and you don't see anything. Like, he's super close. So, anyways, I, I'm rambled. Russ? Uh, I mean, this movie has been analyzed and talked about so much, and, and rightfully so. And I, again, it's yeah, it's one of those movies like you return to over and over again, and he just got that weird alchemy of comedy and horror so right. Uh, I, I, I honestly, I have to say, I can't think of another movie quite like American Werewolf in London. It, it, I mean, and and it's 
in its view of what horror can do, in his view of the the werewolf mythos, and and even these most of the movies that we reviewed, I think, come after this movie, and I think kind of fall under its shadow. Uh, and I, honestly, I don't have too much else to add other than that. I I love this movie. I love the surreal stuff. I love that he added all this weird stuff. I mean, the idea of the corpses that haunt you, and and as we talked about the strange dream, like the mummy ripped that off this last year. Well, and he that. Completely, yeah. and 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 it, just this idea that 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 Landis was thinking of uh, the, what what would it really be like to be a werewolf, like from the inside, and 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 how that affects you not only physically but emotionally and mentally as a person, and and you really get into it. And again, you know, it has some really funny stuff. It has some great lines. Griffin Dunn is great. Um, it it's got to be one. You ever of- talk to a corpse, Jack? It's boring, <laughs> but just just the, the the little conversation they have at the very beginning of the movie, uh-huh. as they as they're just talking about girls and and their lives and that kind of stuff is is fantastic. And I think the other thing that's really interesting in the movie is it has a very strange structure. Um, it's not sort of a classic um, movie structure. I mean, I, I guess you can make an argument that it's in there, but. It's a great example of a screenplay that doesn't completely follow the rules and yet totally knows how to tell a story and, and because it broke those rules. Uh, but anyways, yeah, it's a, it, honestly, it's a 10 out of 10. I, I, there's there's very wow. little I can say bad about this movie, how yeah, much I love it. Love I Wow. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I would say, God, I love John Landis. He's like probably one of my favorite directors and John Landis's uh, family master of horror production was is by far my favorite master of horror. I just I love him. I think he's hilarious, and I think he does have this great balance of humor and horror. But I don't think that he quite pulled that off in wow. American Werewolf. Like wow. I feel like the movie doesn't have a very strong identity. Like he tried to do both, and I just don't think he was quite as successful as you guys think he was. I I mean, there were some times where I was just like, why can't it be one or the other? Like, make a comedy movie with werewolves or make a horror movie with werewolves. Hey, but Roger, Roger Ebert agreed with you. Did he? He was totally oh. wrong, but that's okay. <laughs> as, as I often am. You're an esteemed company um, and you're wrong. I mean, yeah, and your wrongness, you are very, you have huge like uh, backup. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's okay. I'm used to being wrong. It's fine. Um... And there was just like honestly the two guys at the beginning of the movie I was like is this the fucking Summers brothers like is are they on a backpacking trip It did kind of feel like the Summers did brothers it? <laughs> I mean I'm sorry you but know I was just, like if you know what them, thank you I feel like I had insight into the conversation of you guys just like on a backpacking trip through Europe in your head which one of you is Griffin Dunn and which one of you is David Nodden which you think would that would be is there would be Griffin Dunn I think so too. Yeah. All right, yeah, that's what mm-hmm. I'm wondering. Yeah, I, I think so too. I can totally see yeah. Russ being like, "She's a mediocre person with a great body." <laughs> <laughs> um, I the whole like I did catch the Jewish thing because in I believe in the pub they did make some Jewish jokes and I was like, kind of like, "Holy shit!" I mean, I get it, it was the 80s, but were we already? We should have been over this already. And when the Nazi werewolves came up, I was like really super confused. But I did see that there was a reviewer. 
um, I didn't actually read the review because fuck you guys, but um, that did a whole entire review based on the Jewish undertones of the movie. Yeah, I think, so I think uh, there's a there's a thing going on there. Um, I didn't delve into that really any deeper, but the whole nightmare sequence with the Nazi werewolves, I was just like, what is that? What the fuck is going on? Even with me having read all about it and knowing where it comes from, I still every time. Yeah, go, you're this is the like, only scene in this movie. I'm like, mm. uh, maybe that wasn't such a great idea. <laughs> but there's some really great lines in this movie. I do love the whole like his friend, the reanimated corpse hallucinations. Oh, that by far was my favorite part of the movie. The porn theater. When they're so. sitting in the porn theater with all of his victims, I was just that was by far the best part. That and I really did like the ending. I really like how he just fucking clinched that ending like right in your face. You know, I'm a gore fiend and I just thought that the whole way he died in the end was just like Interesting, fantastic. There's a lot of there's a big fan theory which Landis has not commented on, which is the idea that like cuz you never see a transformation of him or the original werewolf back into a human and the idea there there is no such thing as werewolves. This guy lost yeah. his he lost his mind seeing like his friend get murdered and bought into the psychosis of the original killer. That there was never any such thing cool as werewolves. But I mean, overall, I just thought well, but we see all the oh, Piccadilly no. Circus thing. The implication is that, but that's thing. in his head. Yeah, oh, that's the fan theory. I'm not saying that is that. I, I'm just I, saying there's that's an argument to be made for all that. I think the movie traffics in a lot. But of But I do love the way the movie is just like, yep, that movie's done. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get get on I, with it. Let's, the guy's dead. No reason to keep talking. I want to say the most annoying part was his relationship with the nurse. Really? Because yeah, I, that's the part that I found to be really. Super like. I mean, between this and Logan's Run, Jenny Agutter is like my favorite like eighties <laughs> actress of all time. You just you know. saying that because she's hot. I failed she's to see the problem. She's also a good actress. Yeah. I just thought the whole storyline was. Super, it's a little dopey. It's really, it's dopey. really. I say it's probably like, one of the dopey underdeveloped. Aspects. I mean, she's like, I've only had sex with seven men, and then she can't use her mouth when she's kissing. I mean, it's just really awkward for me. What? Like. You didn't. You didn't catch that. Oh, dude, she is like the worst kisser ever. Ugh. I'd be willing to to experiment and find out, <laughs> just to be sure. I feel like scientifically, I need to know. <laughs> um, I just, yeah, I just thought that it needed more of an identity. I think, but it is without a doubt out of. All of the movies that we watched, I would say this is definitely my favorite transition um, oh, from yeah. Human to Werewolf. Because uh, do you think this is your favorite of all the movies we, we yeah, watched? Yeah, that we watched today. Ones? This is definitely my favorite transition. Although John Landis himself admitted that it was way too long, that he probably should have shortened it by at <laughs> least thirty seconds, because that shit goes on forever. Oh, you're talking about the transition. Yeah, the transition from human yeah. to werewolf. Whereas Rick Baker felt exactly the opposite. Of course like, he did. Who was like, there was some. He made seconds. the effects. He wanted more screen time. Yeah. He's like, I want an Academy Award. I feel like I'm qualified. To say I mean, that. I think the whole transition is too. Minutes and thirty six seconds. I, I think it's the most perfect werewolf transition. Oh, and I, mean, I, I I agree with you, but I feel like I also agree with Landis that maybe it could have been cut down by like just a little bit. Yeah, I mean, twenty. Seconds. I think she still should eat in the pie for five minutes in uh, Ghost Story. <laughs> I, I Jesus Christ! Um, I do think this is not only the easily the best werewolf film ever made, and we kind of like are getting out of the way early because it's like, obviously everything else is shades of this. I mean, that's... In a lot of ways, yeah. Anyone who's watched any werewolf movies knows this is the masterpiece. Uh, even the weird... How is it even... American Werewolf... This may have had one sequel 
it's atrocious. American Wolf from Paris. Yeah, and I'm just like, why did this thing even exist? Why did they make it the way they did where they were like not even consulting people from the original one? You're like, yeah, it's just there. We're going to do it for the money. God, I didn't even think about that. It's such it's garbage. It. It's not a good movie. Uh, unwatchable tripe. Uh, there's so much stuff that's great in here. There's stuff that's awkward and that sort of it's an 80s film, but all of it is sort of like endearingly awkward. You, you know? know, but I think the other thing is the movie's so short. Yeah. That, I it mean, gets you, in and it gets out. And it's I mean, fast it, it tells that story and like it's funny consistently yeah. throughout it. There's it's very so entertaining. It's very likable. Yeah, I'd say the one of the weirdest things that everyone from the cast actually commented as well. It's like we get Landis that you had a thing with every song had to have Moon in it, but Warren Zevon's War Werewolves of London was already out at that point, and you didn't think this would be a good song to have in the soundtrack. I, I would. Agree. <laughs> I'm glad he didn't. It would have been a lot of notes. Well, Every song in here is on the notes. <laughs> you know what? It would have been good, but it would not have been as good as Tom Cruise shooting pool to Werewolves of London <laughs> in Color of Money. Um, I, I can we know. briefly? I wanted. To, I'm sorry, Chris. I didn't mean to yeah, talk. Yeah. No, go uh, ahead. Because I think we talked briefly about this. The what do you think of the lead's performance? Uh, D- David Naughton was seemed like the less likely lead than Griffin. He's never Dunn. really the lead in anything else again. No, he? no, he definitely he was not the bigger actor compared to Griffin Dunn. But Dunn is more. Dunn's like, not really a bigger actor. Dunn, I just think he's maybe a better actor. Dunn was in a lot more comedic stuff for sure. But do you you think, know where he found David Naughton was, was in he Dr. Was in the Dr. Pepper commercial. commercials. In fact, there's a famous uh, like no, 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 thank you, no more whiskey for Chris. Thank you. <laughs> there's uh, a famous uh, like outtake that no one that doesn't exist anymore that everyone they all talk about where they all the whole cast circled around David Naughton saying I'm a werewolf you're a werewolf he's a werewolf she's a werewolf wouldn't you like to be a werewolf too like in reference to that really irritating it will not get out of your head Dr. mind Pepper. virus Dr. Pepper ad that was around back in those um, days that he was in I, I think he's probably the I think he's probably weaker. He's I think he's good enough in the movie. Like he doesn't derail the movie in any way for me. Mm-hmm. But he definitely is not as strong an actor as like I think Griffin Dunn's like funnier. And oh, I would rather see Griffin Dunn in that part than him in the lead. But I do think that Naughton. I'd say that if I had to find some flaw, I think like he's good. He's just not maybe as yes. But he doesn't detract. He from doesn't. The film. That's what I'm saying. He doesn't hurt the movie at all. And yeah. And, and so I, I, I it's trying to acknowledge it. Yeah. I think maybe it's not like this. I think he's a good. I think he's fine for the lead. But there's a reason he was never the lead. It would be else. interesting if we could slide to the parallel universe where the roles were reversed yeah. and see what it was. But as it is. I have no complaints I don't, I don't about have this a movie. Complaint. Yeah. Uh, what is next on our list? Next on our list is the 2010 Wolfman. Originally, I was like, let's oh, put shit. it right next to the, talking about the original, but I was like, no, but we got to get the American Werewolf in London out of the way early okay. on. Uh, but I figure we get it as close as possible because the, this film, which is the, I would say, the most specific attempt to ape everything that was that was the original Wolfman film is another one that's important to talk about. And I know you guys, this movie meant something to both you guys, mm-hmm. to the Summers Brothers. Uh, Joe Johnston as well, a director I really enjoy his yeah. work. He did, of course, the first Captain America movie, did The Rocketeer, yeah. and now has gone like, like, dude, maybe you guys don't realize because I do a lot of like, like genre stuff, but I'm old as fuck, so I'm done. Well, not <laughs> only that, he was one of the original designers on Star Wars. He uh, got yep. to start doing that. Uh, he's an art school student. He designed Boba Fett. And this is written by Andrew Kevin Walker, who wrote Seven, mm-hmm. and uh, David Self, who wrote, uh, who adapted Road to Perdition in Thirteen it, Days. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, Big screenwriters. And one of the things, like Benicio del Toro, who plays the lead here of Lawrence Talbot, 
was not casually coming into this project. He, his big, like, you know, we all have our geekdoms. I have many. I'd be hard-pressed to say what my favorite is. He has no problem. His favorite is the original Wolfman. That, like, apparently when the, the, the casting director came to his house to talk to him, or the director, his house had, like, giant-sized posters, like six of them, of the transition of Lawrence Talbot into the Wolfman in his in his living room, and he's like, "Well, this is awkward." <laughs> um, he he had, from what I understood, stayed through every iteration of the project from the beginning until yes. they made it. And uh, it's important to note um, the big thing with this one was Mark Romanek, who's a really famous video director and directed uh, One Hour Photo and uh, Never Let Me Go, um, was the original slated director, and they got really close. They were like six weeks out, and they had, I guess, he wanted to make. Uh, I think they were using the same script, the same sets, the same cast, but at the last second, he and the studio did not see eye to eye on budgetary concerns. I think they were concerned he was going to make a more arty movie, and they they he left, and so Joe Johnston came in with less than six weeks to make to start the movie. He was not the original director, so um, I think he brought his DP and some other people, but it's shot on the sets. Like, it's very, you can see that there maybe have been a different I movie. believe he even brought in Rick Baker late as well. Right, uh, and I the think... the effects who had, who famously had very little time to actually do Right, and I think that, that one of the things Johnson said was, because I think he was coming from Jurassic Park 3, was the last thing he directed, was he knew they would never be able to settle on the practical effects, and that's one of the reasons the movie's so heavy on CGI, is he said, I can I can make a decision in post rather than be committed to something on set, because we don't have the time to prep that. I actually saw an interview with him, uh, Rick Baker, on the original Werewolf disc that really elucidated a lot about that for me, like where he was talking about uh, Jack Pierce, who was the original universal makeup guy. He was a legend. He was the guy post-Lon Chaney Sr. who came in and was like, he was their guy. He did everything. And whose career died because he refused to adapt. He was like, no, I'm not interested in these new techniques. This stuff has always worked. I'm just going to stick to these techniques. And, and and this is Rick Baker making the argument, that's what killed, that's what made Jack Pierce die poor, was that he refused to change with the times as a makeup artist. And so hearing that and then seeing this, I'm like, oh, I get it. Rick Baker was like, well, I need to change with the times and like adapt into CG. But to me, that was a huge mistake, at least in terms of this film. Interesting. At least in terms of the way that it ended up working out. Well... Okay, so Chris, what do you think of uh, 2010's The Wolfman? I think it's a very mixed bag, but I think it's a shame that it's been thrown under the bus quite as hard as it has been, because there is a lot of good stuff in this. Um, and, and once again, we like we talk about the plot, but quite frankly, this is a remake of the original with just the change. It's more gothic, it's more expensive, it's much longer, and Anthony Hopkins, the, the father, the Claude Rains role in the original, is now unquestionably from his first lines in the film, a bad guy. <laughs> you know, like Claude Rain's like, son, I love you, welcome home. Anthony Hopkins like, so I see the prodigal son has returned. You're like, okay, so you're a villain. I get it. Um, 
there's no mistaking where this film is going at any point, not just because you've seen the original one. And that is one of the, the, the problems going on here. The CG is one of the problems, but there's lots of great cinematography in this thing. There's lots of really fun moments. There's some carnage that's like, whoa! There's a shot where a, a, a policeman gets claws, like, just through the bottom of his chin into his mouth. And I was like, God damn, movie! That was awesome! Uh, I did watch the, the uh, on the Blu-ray, the full cut of this. The director's cut. Which unnecessarily adds a whole Max von Sydow bit with him handing the silver cane, which is oh, like... I like that. I would, except it never is vaguely... There's no payoff. And there's no payoff. It's never explained. It's like, okay, I totally get why this was removed from the film, because it makes no sense. Why this? So there's some mystical, magical Max von Sydow that shows up. It's like, oh, by the way, you might need this later. Um, which they don't. Yeah, which they don't. I also think Benicio Del Toro, I mean, I get it. This is your dream project. This is your fantasy project. You want to do this your whole life, but sometimes there ain't nothing you can do, brother. You're just not the guy for the role. And he was not the guy for the role. He was trying so hard, but it is one of the most decisive, like, just double underlined cases of Hollywood miscasting in history. He is so not right for this part. I mean, Anthony Hopkins is like, I could do this in my sleep. I'm obviously right for this part. Pretty sure he did. Uh, yeah, Benicio Del Toro is like, yeah. I mean, Emily Blunt is good. Hugo Weaving is too obvious of a choice. Where, great. Uh, yeah, I'm like, oh, you're just, you're kind of just chewing up the dialogue and ultimately you're not that interesting of a character. Um, there, there's enough here, especially visually, where I say this is worth seeing. Um, it is interesting that the producer at that, or not the producer, the uh, head of the studio at Universal at that point made a famous statement where he said, this is the, one of the two worst films Universal has ever put out. And I was like, really? I'm pretty sure that's not true. And that's then I looked up... Was that before The Mummy came well, out? No, right? And then I looked up the rest of the quote and he said, the other was Babe, Pig in a City. I was like, okay, you're clearly a crazy person because like that has like 100% of Rotten Tomatoes. It's a great fucking movie. Like, I don't know oh, what's And of wrong course, that's the person that's in charge of picking movies. Right, 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 right. It might still be based <laughs> on some of Universal's output, but... um. I I I get why people have just avoided this completely. It's wow. like it's not a great film. It's not even a good film. But there's moments of genius in this thing, and especially if you like John Joe Johnston's output, I feel like it's worth revisiting. Uh, Russ, uh, yeah, I this is one of those movies. Um, we'll get into this in a in a bigger thing. Um, I, I understand. Uh, yeah, Del Toro does feel somewhat miscast. I think it sort of reminds me of uh, Stephen King's critique of Jack Nicholson in The Shining, that, that Nicholson already seems crazy. Um, and I think Benicio Del Toro already seems like the Wolfman when he shows up. And and so that sort of takes away from it. But you know, I mean, the first time you see him, he's an actor doing Hamlet. I thought that was really cool. Um, With the Brooklyn accent. Yeah, but he is supposed to be American in the... I mean, that is... It is an American werewolf in London. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so was the original Wolfman. And, yeah. and, I, and, I, and, I, and I enjoy... You know, obviously I'm a big fan of Joe Johnston, and I thought he really brought something to this movie. I think there's a lot to like about the script. Uh, uh, I liked it. You know, it's funny going back to watch it again. I, I, I loved it when I saw it in the theater, and I, I loved it uh, this time. You know, it, it's, it's like a... You know, it's this gaslight chiller, and it has, you know, all these things... Uh, that I that I love, you know, it has intrepid inspectors and gypsy mystics and insane asylums. Like, kind of hits me where I live. Like, the, these are this is the kind of movie <laughs> hey, I want to go. Austin isn't that ghetto. Jesus. 
but it, but it is kind of this is the kind of movie I want to see when it's on this level, and it you know it has all that great purple dialogue, and it it it's it's very. It's very interested in, in, you know, being this sort of, you know, Victorian Wolfman movie and, and in a big modern studio way. Um, and I feel like, you know, that's all on the screen. Um, and, and, uh, you know, I don't totally love the design of the Wolfman. I, I see sort of what they were going for. It didn't, I didn't find it particularly, um. They're trying to copy the original, but give it some. Yeah, let me make it a more modern, sort of cool. But, uh, this I, I feel like this movie sort of uh, like Chris was saying it's been so thrown under the bus and people have avoided it and to me it it brings up this question of like I understand this thing where people are like this is bad this you know like this universal gets it's just a bad movie really like there's all this intelligent dialogue and it clearly has a lot of really talented people who are are working at a great capacity. In the movie, I mean, Hopkins is really great in that role. Uh, uh, Blunt is great. I mean, she's usually always great. But there, there's just all these great scenes and all these great ideas about what the Wolfman is. I, I don't know that when he becomes the Wolfman, uh, especially in the climax, that the movie always works. But I think that the stuff where they talk about, you know, what it is to, to, to be a Wolfman, the idea of the Wolfman, like all those kinds of ideas of people dealing with the central problem of the movie – I think you're just great, and and I just I don't I don't know. I mean, it's just it's so weird to me that this movie is so maligned. Uh, so I, you it know, I, definitely does not deserve the degree of of disdain that it gets. I, I feel that about so many movies uh, that they just get this this sort of uh, stink on them that that, I, that it's just so undeserving. And anyways, I I really like this movie. I mean, this is. This is the kind of movie I go to the movies to see. Like, I was not disappointed when I left this movie. I don't know that it's entirely successful. I mean, I think, obviously, I think that the, the climax is, is it just, it's a little so CGI heavy. And it's, it feels a little, it feels a little like, okay, well, we, we've got to have this big Cliché. action. Yeah, this kind of action. <laughs> so, you know, we have to give them something. Um, and, and so you're almost sort of waiting for it to be over. But, but you know, that said, I, I greatly enjoyed this movie, so. Patience. I don't even know if we saw the same movie. I, I mean, maybe we didn't. I, I just, know. I'm wondering because. Did you see 2010's The Wolfman? Yeah, Benicio del Toro, right? Uh-huh. I really feel like Benicio del Toro was the only one that gave a shit about this movie, That's and crazy. now I know why. Because this movie is so fucking bland and mediocre in every single way. Wow. Even the cinematography was like, eh. I will throw out as well, the soundtrack is terrible. It's, this. I mean... And, and, and that's famously remarked upon. Uh, Danny Elfman wrote the whole score in the studio. It's like, yeah, we're gonna fuck with it. And so they called in like eight other people and so the soundtrack is this choppy thing of all these people it's, together. I just, I mean... I didn't. The CGI is bad. The story is bland. It's been done a million times. I get it. They're trying to recreate a U- original Universal, but at the same time, like, you, I mean, if you're gonna do that, then can you at least give us some good CGI and some good acting? And I felt like every single person, other than Benicio del Toro, was phoning it in, hmm. like. Olivia or Emily, 
Oh, I was going to say Blunt. Olivia Wilde. Emily Blunt walks around with like this look on her, like this startled look on her face. Every single scene, mm. she has like this startled look on her face. And I was like, oh, it's because she's startled because she's wondering what the fuck she's doing there. Because Maybe the movie she's startled because there's so a wolf man. <laughs> and Anthony Hopkins, I'm sorry, he basically just played the same character he played in Dracula. Like, it's literally... He was a good guy. You mean God. he's doing it Anthony Hopkins performance that he's been doing but, for like 25 I mean, but years. It was, I mean, literally, like, he... W- there were some lines... Oh, fuck. Okay. Literally. Okay, that's All right. We are at Depcon 2. Continue. I, I rubber band twice. Sorry. Continue with that. Um, he... I am almost positive he was just like, oh, I'm just going to play, you know, like, the same guy I played in Dracula. And there's actual scenes from this movie that are direct rip-offs from Bram Stoker's Dracula, where, like, he's in the insane asylum and all the doctors are around. And I was just like, I've seen this before. I just... It was a mediocre film, guys. Hmm. It didn't have any... I mean, bad bad acting. I wouldn't say bad acting, but I would say phoning it in acting. Bad CGI. Mediocre cinematography. I was bored. I, I will say, I, I had forgotten about this. The one scene where he jumps off a roof and just lands and splats a cop. Yeah. <laughs> and they do the whole blood... I will. There was. I will give it that one part. Is at some parts in this film, the gore was actually quite good, especially when he does like, like dissect an entire room full of of observers when he changes in the mental That's asylum. That's an awesome scene. That was a really cool scene, and I liked that a lot. I liked how the head asylum guy died. I thought that was a good scene. So I'll, I will give it that. There was some like mm, some good moments. Fair Otherwise, I would say hard pass. Um, and the final moment. No, but I mean, uh, I, I am a, I'm a big fan of this movie, um, and uh, I'm sorry that you guys had a had a less than stellar experience with it. it. It, I guess, it's one of these movies that perplexes me when I watch it that other people don't have the same experience I do. Um, I, I, I did. That was something I was going to point out. Was I think the transformation scene in the in the asylum is really in front of the doctors is a really exciting moment. Um, it's beautifully realized. It's weird. It's it's um, visceral. It's exciting. Uh, I really like that. But overall, um, I, I do just it's it's funny to me that the movie doesn't land with people because it lands with me so hard. And I think that it's kind of this great attempt to do this modern spin on the Universal Monster movie, and it's this gothic romance in some ways, which I really like. It almost like this merchant ivoryish romance going on, and I, I really. I felt the opposite. I, I, I just think Emily, Emily Blunt just is ethereal. I think she's such an amazing actress. And I loved her in this movie. And I loved their, their sort of doomed, almost forbidden romance. It's like his, 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 uh, you know, brother's fiance. Um, I think the movie's really beautifully realized. I think Talbot Manor with its sort of regal trappings and, and, um, and, uh, you know, the leaves scattered on the floor and it's sort of gone, gorgeous, gone. Yeah. yeah. I just, don't, you know, this huge white shafts of light and, and it always feels like, um, dark in the house. And I just, I really love that. Um, and I just think everything from that to like, I, I, you know, Inspector Aberdeen's like coat and his leather gloves. Like I just, I loved all that shit. Um, Del Toro and Hopkins, uh, Del Toro is, he, he is, he gives a bit of an oddball performance. In some moments, he is kind of a leading man. I think he is kind of charismatic. He's sort of handsome. He's sort of dashing. And in other moments, he's doing his weird Benicio del Toro verbal kinch stick. And so, <laughs> it, it's not always consistent with him, I'm you know? Fucking still came, motherfucker. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, figure up your ass, you know, whatever. Yeah. But I just think, like, 
he's but but I think he's interesting and, and and I know you didn't connect with Hopkins which is unfortunate but Hopkins I think they both give these kind of oddball performances but I think that th- those work for me in the movie because they're already kind of outsiders and the movie is very much about them being outsiders and the curse on their family that they were always this strange clan and I think the movie is about this curse of your family you know that like you're sort of doomed to become who your family is and um they chew up some scenery but I think Weaving's great. Uh, Hugo Weaving is the inspector. He's just this right proper inspector. And um, and uh, I think Walker and Self Script is really cool. It's really fun. It's filled with a lot of great, memorable dialogue. You've done terrible things. And I just, I love all that shit. And, and um, I, I don't know. I, I really, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed, um, uh, you know, it has some pulpy elements, backstory, dialogue, the sequences. The Wolfman is... I think he's the biggest mixed bag. Unfortunately, I think, you know, Johnson is sort of comes from this special effects background and his, his attempt to, you know, really give him this sort of, to use CGI in some ways undercuts the Wolfman's like visceral impact. He feels like a special effect and they, they do have this design with him. They try to make him look like, um, you know, like a guy, like a man, but yeah. he's a wolf, you know, which I guess is kind of a throwback to Lon Chaney. Hey, 100%. Yeah, and, and um, you know, it's it's a cool idea in theory, and I think it's also more original than a lot of the other wolves that we, we see. But, you know, it doesn't always help. Uh, but I do think he has, like I said, a couple really exciting transformations. Uh, it's I, a violent flick, so... I, mean, pro- I, I do want to say, in common, in per- it's a perfect storm of Joe Johnston's being kind of an effects guy. Like, yeah. I want to find the best way to sell these things that are, we can do more with our budget than you'd think. And Rick Baker being a guy who has very little time to get it done, but also realizing, I don't want to be Jack Pierce. Right. I got to be the guy who's willing to move past practical and work with CG into that perfect storm of, wow, that didn't really work. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think Johnston, I, I'm, I'm a, just in the tank for that guy already. Rocketeer and Captain America are two of my favorite movies. And I, I really love his work here. I think that he there's sort of a Spielbergian touch to this. Although he brings an unexpected note of sadness that isn't a lot of his other work. I think the movie's a very, you know, I think this goes to the schmuck thing. That, that you know, Del Toro is sort of doomed. And I think that the movie gets into that a lot. Um, this sort of, uh, you know, um, you know that that feeling that, you know, th- that he's cursed in so many ways even before he's the wolf. And um, and I really enjoyed that. I-, I think that also, I mean, just like that, you remember that sequence where, like, in the beginning of the third act where he gets back to find his-, his dad and he goes to the house and he's, like, loading the gun and the dog's there. And it's just spooky. It's really interesting and beautifully shot with, like, you know, um, in these dark hallways uh, by candlelight. And I think the London Rampage is kind of exciting and kind of fun. And unfortunately, that and the third act climax – they're too reliant on CGI, like Russ said, and that's unfortunate. And I will say, um, but I will say, this one tries to thread the needle and have both where we know who the werewolf is, and then we're also searching for who the werewolf is, which turns out to be um, more familiar than he would like. I think it's uh, important to designate when you say more uh, too reliant on CGI that this is too reliant on 2010 CGI. I mean, all CGI is a problem for me, even now. I, well, that was one of my thoughts. I was like, oh my god, could, didn't they have better CGI in 2010? And I was like, oh, that was eight years ago. Yeah. They, we really didn't have better CGI. Way, a, huge, a long way 
But I, we still see movies all the time that rely that use stuff this cruddy. I mean, That's, hell, I just saw Solo and those sequences in it that you're like, seriously? I was going to say I mean, Deadpool two. Deadpool what? two had wonky. But, but then, then I watched Thanos and Avatar and go in Avengers and go, wow, that's nailing it, dude. Yeah. But, you know, I had problems with CGI in there. I had problems, uh, you know, I had problems with lots of stuff. So, uh, Last Jedi, I thought, had some terrible CGI in it throughout. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a difficult, it's a mixed bag, but I guess, like, I was taken with the rest of the movie. And I think in all these movies, the wolf is always the toughest part. You know, Absolutely. they just, yeah. they always have to figure out what to do with him and how to approach him. This movie's approach is very, it's very interesting because of all the movies, it's the biggest throwback. And yet it relies on the most, one of the, some of the most modern stuff. And so that may be its thing. But anyways, okay, that's my rambling thing. I, I just would like to say that I'm shocked. Just like, I feel like Benicio Del Toro was completely out of place in this super mainstream film. I'm shocked that the Summers Brothers liked this super mainstream film. I mean, but I, I think don't it's think not. It gets, I mean, I think I, it's just I don't like, think it gets any more I think mainstream. it's just gothic, you know, remake of, of the werewolf legend. Like, I don't, maybe looking back now, it's not as accessible as it sort of should be. <laughs> I don't know. Weird. Especially since Joe Johnston. I, yeah, I, I think it desperately wanted to really recreate the original and update it in the ways you had to, but it really wanted to update the original. I don't know if there's a way to do that. I just don't think there's a way to really do know, that. Man. And I think sell it's cool. It it's a everyone. period piece. And, I yeah. don't know. Um, I, I have a question, though, about the werewolf genre in general, just because I feel like I'm, this is probably my least you know, least favorite, so I also don't know a lot about it. Is this where the advent of the gypsies became a popular theme in, like, you know... Being clear, we're saying gypsies, that's because that's sorry. what they call them in the werewolf movies. Roma, I'm so sorry. Uh, no, but that's what they call them in the werewolf movies. Yeah. So, like, a, a, you know, it's obviously in real life, uh, say Roma. I would yeah. think that, yeah, that generally... Because we have Roma in, in Dracula, we have... Them. And I was like, wow, they're, cause almost every single movie we watched had some sort of presence, uh, mm-hmm. like, of, of Interesting. these. And it, well, these they, they are, yeah, they are very much tied into the, the, the werewolf, uh, mythos. And also I think that because a lot of these, uh, monster movies, these, especially these universal type monster movies, and the werewolf is a good example, um, is, is tied into this idea of, of old Europe mm-hmm. meeting, you know, new, Modernity and, and that clash. And I, I think that that's even in, in this movie. Like we said, even in the first, the original The Wolfman, he is an American coming back to, coming to London, like to a family estate, but he's clearly American enough that he just has an American accent. <laughs> you know, it's been an aspect of the clash of the old and the new since there was such a thing as werewolf movies. You know, so. I mean, that's, that's kind of what these movies are about, right? Is sort of this idea of the, this ancient European evil. That, or that, at least in terms of the films that we've discussed so far. Yeah. Whereas in part two, we will discuss different types of takes on the werewolf genre. Because we're at over an hour now. I do want to call out real quick our sponsor, Oscar Blues Brewing Company, with locations in two in Colorado, one in Austin, and one in North Carolina. Tonight we are drinking Mama's Little Yellow Pills. I was actually drinking the IPA earlier. And then I couldn't but the Pills them. is my favorite because I'm not a big fan of IPAs, so mm. I'm down with the but Pills. it's mellow, right? Yeah, it's, it's super mellow. It's good. It's, it's like you're not drinking, you know, like... Bud Light, but yeah. you're drinking something that's easy, it's like Bud has Light, more flavor, but much better. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah exactly. Yeah. Like you're like, I want something smooth. I don't want to support a big beer company. I want to support the little guy, but I want something that's not going to taste too hoppy. That's a good one. But if you do want something hoppy, they have lots of choices. In fact, they have a variety of IPAs, and they were the original craft 
beer in a can. The first people in craft brewing to put their beer in the can with Dale's Pale Ale, also, which is still my favorite. Uh, side note, uh, movie guys, because Oscar Blues refers to the third uh, Blues Brother, who was originally in the... Uh, I found this out watching this show that I worked on, The Beer Diaries. Yeah. The, uh, the, origin, the uh, founder of the brewery uh, bought the unused script for the Blues Brothers, and it contained a third brother named Oscar, who they cut out before they made it. And so... These guys are just made for movies. I asked about that, and the rep told me she asked the owner, and he said, "No, that's totally." Well, I don't know. Apocryphal. That's what they told me. No. I don't know. She. I swear. I was like, I asked, and I was like, "Oh, that's so exciting." She's like, "Yeah, people keep saying that. That's actually not true." Well, we're they gonna stick that. with it. Yeah. Okay. I'm embarrassed to say that uh, you said it so proudly, and I'm like, I wish that was true. But she was like, "No, that's not actually even true. more interesting." Yeah. All right. The conspiracy deepens. <laughs> so Tune maybe in. there was no third blues brother, or maybe there was. Tune in for. <laughs> <laughs> Twin Peaks, the Oscar Blues years, episode two, next week. <laughs>